Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Everybody in the Pool, the podcast for the climate economy, where we dive deep into the climate crisis and come up with solutions. So far on the show, we've talked a lot about solutions related to how and what we consume. But the real key to sustainable living is consuming less and holding on to the things you have longer, especially the gadgets, appliances, phones, tablets, laptops, vacuum cleaners, coffee makers, things that may otherwise become electronic waste. Electronic waste, or e-waste, is the world's fastest growing waste stream. We produce an estimated 50 million metric tons a year. Aside from the carbon emissions evolved in producing billions of these devices every year, only about 20% of e-waste is recycled. And when it gets dumped, it leaks toxic materials like lead, mercury, and cadmium. And if e-waste is incinerated, it releases harmful chemicals into the air and contributes to air pollution, which also contributes to warming. It's a mess. Now, yeah, when you hang on to stuff for a long time, that stuff can break. And one of the reasons we're so trained to get a new phone or a laptop or tablet or headphones every couple of years or less is that we've literally been trained by companies who do not want us to fix our stuff. And that leads me to this week's interview. I'm Kyle Weens. I'm the CEO of iFixit. iFixit.com is a site that offers manuals and instructions for how to fix your stuff. Everything from cell phones to laptops to medical devices to Vespas to purses and shoes. There's an article on iFixit about how to restore your synthetic wig to its original lustrous hair quality. Like, it turns out you can fix a lot of stuff. What Kyle is very modest about is how he's the undisputed leader of a movement called Right to Repair. Because, first of all, companies go to incredible lengths to make it hard to repair your stuff. But also, back in 1998, the movie industry pushed through a change to federal copyright law called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. It was supposed to make it harder to pirate DVDs. The law made it illegal to break the encryption on manufactured products and to distribute any tools to break that encryption. So all of a sudden, it was effectively illegal to open up your laptop and other devices. This became a huge deal with tractors in particular. John Deere has actually spent the last seven years fighting farmers and independent repair shops, saying they weren't allowed to touch the software inside the tractors unless they used authorized dealers and parts. And the whole thing has pretty much been a fight ever since. For the most part, everyday consumers have kind of given up on even trying to fix things like phones and computers, especially if those phones or computers come from Apple, which I'm sorry to say is the worst offender when it comes to refusing to let people fix their shit. In fact, that's how Kyle got his start as a fix-it Pied Piper. 
Yeah, so this whole thing started because I was in that that mode. I was a college student trying to fix my laptop, and Apple threw up obstacles that made it difficult, and that made it so I was like, well, let me let me find a way to make it easier for the next person if I had to suffer so much. So I started writing repair guides that Apple wouldn't share. We put them online. We've been doing it ever since. And so iFixit's mission is to teach everybody how to fix all of their stuff, whether it's a laptop or a cell phone or a lawnmower or a chainsaw or a refrigerator. We want to help you fix your thing. And I'm very pragmatic. I'm an engineer and I'm just looking at the problems. I'm saying, okay, if you want to be able to fix something, you need the information on how to fix it. You need the tools. You need the fancy iPhone screwdriver if there's a special screwdriver and you need the parts. And so we started building that ecosystem in an open source fashion on iFixit where we'd take things apart. We'd write the information. We'd track down the tools. Uh, maybe we'd make custom tools if we needed to. We'd go to China. We'd get the parts. And we'd be doing that over and over systematically for every gadget we could get our hands on for about 20 years now. The problem is we can't always do that. We can't always solve it. Either there's something that gets in the way, like maybe the main board on the iPhone is a part that we can't make <laughs> because it has secret sauce on it. There's no way for us to make an aftermarket A11 chip. And so we need to be able to go to Apple and buy those and they weren't selling them. Right. Uh, or the the information, you know, we've been crowdsourcing and we've been writing repair manuals. We have hundreds of thousands of people around the world writing repair manuals for products. And we can't keep up with how fast manufacturers make new things. Every year at CES, there's like 15,000 new gadgets that come out. We can't write 15,000 complete repair manuals every year. We can write many thousands, but not 15,000. So the manufacturers need to be part of the solution. And that's where about 10 years ago, we realized, okay, we've taken this to the limits. The community is contributing a lot. We're contributing a lot. We can't keep up with the manufacturers. They need to be part of the solution. And so I very naively went and asked nicely, like, hey, guys, you want to help? <laughs> <laughs> and I just got a wall of silence across the board. Right. Uh, so we started working on legal frameworks to encourage them or require them to help with the problem. Let's just make it super explicit why they don't want to help, which is that if you repair your item, you will keep it longer and thereby you will not buy a new item. That's it. Yes. Yep. Yeah. How many things do we need in the world? Mm -hmm. We globally, all of civilization, we manufacture about 1.5 billion smartphones a year. What's the right amount? The amount is more than zero. It's probably less than 1.5 billion. We probably don't need to be making that many. And every single phone that we make is a couple hundred pounds of CO2 in the air. It's uh, several hundred pounds of raw material dug out of the ground to grind out rock and get the gold and the lithium and all the materials that we need that we're not good at recovering and recycling. So we literally dig a mountain out of the earth every day to make the smartphones that we need. I would like to dig a smaller mountain every day. So I wonder at what point you know, I, I am of the opinion that every story is sort of fundamentally a climate story. In your case, it sounds like you came to this as it's just a practicality story. The longer I can keep this, the less money it costs me. At what point would you say you started to become aware of what a big climate story this really is and what a big resource story it is? Yeah, I mean, I came at it from an e-waste angle, from a looking at, you know, end of life, where do these things go? What are the harms caused? in mining and then in manufacturing and then but then we, we did the math and we realized electronics are the most carbon intensive products that we make mm -hmm. and it's it's just pure energy that goes into making these things i mean if you take the phone and say well where does the energy go most of it goes into the chips it's the individual acs like well where where does the energy go in making chips it is literally x-ray machines ablating atoms off the top of these these silicon wafers every time they build a new or they want to upgrade the equipment in one of these silicon fabs they have to bring in massive new pipes with just huge wires, like the actual size of the copper wire into these fabs is a large part of, of the limitations of like where and 
how they build these fabs. And of course, where the fabs are, generally it's coal-fired power. So when I say it's, you know, I think Apple's number is something like 500 pounds of CO2 per iPhone. Uh, that CO2 is CO2 in, in China or Taiwan that is the carbon emitted when we're burning coal to make the chips that go on our devices. And those chips don't have a built-in death clock. There's no reason those chips should only last for 18 months or two years. That You make a chip, it could last for 10, 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we look at it, at it from like, okay, we need technology. We're going to manufacture these things. When we do, let's just make sure that technology lasts as long as possible. So we need to make fewer upfront. Well, it seems like there's a little bit of a double question here. One is the components around the chip are primarily what fail, right? Like just to break this down, you're saying the chip can, probably does in most cases, last orders of magnitude longer than the actual device. What is it that breaks? Just so we can get a sense of how absurd it is that we would get rid of a device if the glass breaks. Right, yeah, so let's keep talking about smartphones, but this applies to everything. So with smartphones, it's the glass, you drop it, you break the glass. Or it's the battery. And you think about the glass, you know, how many of us have, have gotten a ding or a crack in our windshield? Probably all of us. I got one yesterday and I'm just furious. I'm so sorry. Man, you just <laughs> poked a nerve and you didn't even know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, are you considering throwing away your car? Definitely. No. <laughs> <laughs> but like like when you drop your phone, you crack the screen, that's something everyone like, do I want to fix it? Or maybe it's time to get a new one. Like that's a conversation all of us have with ourselves about our phone. That has never happened. I've never met a person that was like, oh yeah, I cracked my windshield. Time for a new car. Right. It's just ludicrous. Same thing with a battery on a car. Your battery goes out, you go to AutoZone, you get a new one. It's the same thing. So you have these consumables, they just wear out or, or items that break easily. We shouldn't th- throw away the whole thing for the sake of the shortest lived component. Uh, And we certainly don't do that with cars. We don't do that with many things in our life. But for some reason, electronics are these magical, you know, shiny uh, black rectangles that are perfect and created by, you know, the holy Johnny Ive on the hill. And we can't, we couldn't possibly understand enough to be able to swap by the battery in our phone, even though we can and our car is just fine. Okay. Let's talk about Apple specifically, which you've brought up several times, because I I think it's possible people may not realize, especially because I would say Apple has, in recent years in particular, presented itself as pretty environmentally forward thinking, and yet is the company that effectively created the electronics that you cannot open up. Right. Yeah, the iPod was the first one. Until the iPod, anything that came with a battery, it was swappable, it was no big deal. And the iPod was the first one where it came out and it was, you know, 4,000 songs in your pocket. Cool. Oh, by the way, it only lasts two years and then it stops working. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know anyone who has an iPod that they bought back in the day that still works. They all stopped. Why did the iPod stop working? They should still play music, right? We like music now, just like we did back then. Why aren't we still using our iPods? I mean, yes, phones do it too, but that's not the only reason. It's that the iPods literally stopped working because the batteries were out. It, it, we could have kept them running. Right. We still do sell, sell iPod batteries on iFixit, but it, it's it's few and far between, right? Um, and, and so it's that conflation. It's gluing in a consumable into something that should last much, much longer. Um, that's that's the problem. That's the real you know, environmental and climate catastrophe here. And then let's talk about e-waste itself, which is the fastest growing waste stream on the planet. I at least have this idea that if I go and I take my phone in and I turn it, I trade it in, that it may be recycled. Is that not happening? Uh, It'll get recycled or repaired. Yeah, if you trade your phone in, they're worth enough value, someone's going to do something with it. Okay, so those programs are a good development. 
they are a good development. Yeah, the real problem is the phones sitting in our drawers, <laughs> or our closets, right? Uh, because they're they're losing value or they're not getting used. If you're going to upgrade the phone, the most environmentally friendly thing you can do with the phone that you have is to sell it and get as much money as you possibly can for it. Really? Do the most selfish possible thing. Get as opposed to trade it in. Like you or should... trade it in. Trading it in is fine, right? Um, right. It's just get someone to give you some amount of money for it because that that person or entity or trade in partner is going to be incentivized with that fifty dollars that they paid you to get at least fifty dollars of utility out of it, which is what we want. If you're going to grind this up and shred it, the raw commodity value of the gold and the silver and the mercury and the lithium in this phone is worth about 25 cents. So anyone paying you more than 25 cents for your phone is going to be reusing it, which is what we want. Got it. And the most, uh, you know, it's funny because I say this about cars all the time, speaking of not getting rid of your car, which is like, obviously, I am a huge proponent of electric cars. I'm not necessarily a huge proponent of you buying a whole new car. Yeah. The most environmentally friendly car is, in fact... The one you already have, which applies to a lot of things, right? Like how yeah. much of this is just breaking the cult of new? Yeah. No, I, we talk about save the planet through sheer laziness. Just hang on to the things you've already got. You don't need to go buy anything. You don't need to worry about transferring your apps to a new phone. Just hang on to the thing you've already got. We need to we need to calm down, slow down our pace, hang on to the things we have a bit longer, and everything will be fine. All right, we have to take a quick break. And by the way, if you'd like to subscribe to Everybody in the Pool and get an ad-free version of the show, check the link in the description of this episode in your podcast app of choice. It's only five bucks a month. When we come back, we'll talk about the activism side of things and how in addition to you hanging on to your stuff longer, the right to repair movement is starting to score some legislation victories too. Welcome back to Everybody in the Pool. I'm talking with Kyle Weens, the CEO of iFixit and the leader of the movement to, I can't even believe I have to say this, make it legal for you to fix the stuff you own. All right, let's talk about the right to repair movement legislatively, because as you went to these manufacturers and you said, hey, help me out here, they said, no, thank you. (laughs) At some point, we literally had to turn to legislation to force them to let us fix our own stuff. Yeah, so we ended up just having to go state lawmakers. And so I've spent the last 10, 12 years working on legislation, right to repair legislation where it says, hey, if you have a repair network, you need to make available to consumers the same exact information, tools, parts that you make available to your authorized network. And the electronics manufacturers have fought that tooth and nail. (laughs) And they have spent many, many, many millions of dollars trying to prevent you from having access to the tools and parts that you need. As we're talking now, in fact, I think Minnesota just became the fourth state, right? Yeah, we've been we've been passing all, all kinds of bills. And as a matter of fact, today I just heard Pennsylvania introduced the 30th uh, right to repair bill this year. So we're at th- three out of five states in the U.S. Or 60% of states have introduced 
uh, bill. Most of the population, it's like 80% of the population. And then, yeah, Minnesota passed rate to repair for uh, broad sweeping for electronics, for appliances, for enterprise equipment. It's a, it's a fantastic bill. And that will go into effect, I think, January 1st. Yeah, we should be clear that this is, we're talking about electronics, but I mean, really, and it's important from a climate perspective too, to, to make it clear that we're also talking about, I think years ago, you and I had a conversation about my coffee maker, Yeah, Breville. Yeah. Uh-huh. Breville is the worst on this, um, but it's about John Deere tractors. It's about your car. It's about everything. It's about your refrigerator. It used to be that when your refrigerator broke, you wanted to upgrade it so you'd get a more energy efficient refrigerator that that was better for the planet. Now that's not the case. We're not seeing improved efficiencies in refrigerators. And so if you have a refrigerator, you want to keep it running for 20 years. And as we move up that kind of, I don't know, size and complexity chain to appliances and there's the, yes, I want to sell my phone. That's an environmentally friendly thing to do. What about my refrigerator? What about my bigger appliance? Yeah. Like, is that a Craigslistable situation? <laughs> they are absolutely Craigslistable, but I would say just hang on to it. So try not right. to upgrade your appliances if you can avoid it. They're generally just fine. Uh, but if you do need to, or if you're moving, or you know, then then yeah, absolutely sell them. Uh, we were just hanging out yesterday with a guy. Well, I'll, I'll give him props. All Star Appliances. <laughs> Here in Central California, great organization. He gets returns refurbs. He'll buy uh, appliances off of Craigslist and he refurbs them and then sells them in the community. And he does a fantastic job. And he's he's just blown away at the things that, that people throw away. He's like, this took me five minutes to fix. Is that becoming more common, the, the kind of circular economy for these larger items? I think it's always been there. Hmm. I don't know if it's getting more or less common than it's been, but I, I would say it's something that's available that you can seek out. And I think we should, as society, we should prefer it, right? Like the the shiny, new, you know, fancy screen on your washing machine is not fundamentally a good thing. It's more that will break. They're not better at cleaning your clothes than the older ones. So we need to get, all, 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 I think, a little bit away from our fetish with the absolute newest. Like, is Wi-Fi in your washing machine really making your life better? No, I like the old one with the push. Mm-hmm. There was a button. You pushed the button. It did the thing. You walked amazing. away. Yeah, it was great. Just did laundry. Not to sound like a boomer, but like, yeah. that was awesome and yeah. it worked fine. Yeah. LG's website says that you should check for security updates for your refrigerator every other month. So just put that on your household chore to-do list. I mean, that silence that you hear is my mouth hanging open at the sheer idea of that. Well, you know, interestingly, I did see that NHTSA, the National Highway Safety and Transportation Administration, is today, as we're taping this, telling car makers to ignore a Massachusetts right to repair law because they're saying that it could introduce security concerns. Yeah, this is absolutely ridiculous. And I am so frustrated. Uh, so so just to, to back up and share the context, mm-hmm. a couple years ago, Massachusetts passed an auto right to repair law that said, hey, the wireless, they call it telematics. This is wireless signals that your car is sending. So BMW is, uh, your car is telling BMW, hey, I could, I'd i like an oil change. And then BMW is like, hey, we scheduled an oil change at the dealer for you Tuesday at nine o'clock. Uh, If you want to turn that off or if you want to have that set up to go to your local mechanic rather than the BMW dealership, um, there was no way to do that. So the Massachusetts law says you have to make that software available so that consumers can choose where they send their wireless data. Seems reasonable. 
The car makers have spent the last couple of years suing to stop it. The National Highway Transportation Safety Administration had the last couple of years to weigh in and could have done anything. They waited until uh, the last minute. The attorney general said they were going to start enforcing the law June 1st, a couple of weeks ago. And then today, this government agency sends a letter saying, no, it's not safe to enforce this law that's been on the books for a couple of years. Mm. This is ludicrous. It's bureaucratic overreach. Uh, the Biden administration should be ashamed of themselves. I think they probably are. I think there was wires crossed internally because this is absolutely the wrong policy, not just for the planet, but for security and safety. This is the wrong safety perspective. Like your car talking wirelessly to the manufacturer does not enhance the safety. It makes you less safe. Do it? Does this feel like a regulatory capture situation? I mean, do you think this is like a, a policy like that ends it up? It could be. I don't know. I don't, do you remember a few a few years back, uh, Wired uh, had a thing where where a hacker took control of a Jeep on, on the highway? Yeah. And the Jeep is going down the road, and he did, was able to take control and stop it on the highway. So the hacker, uh, white hat hacker, Charlie Miller, I talked with him afterwards, and I said, Charlie, what was the hard part about hacking that Jeep? And he said, what well, was on the Sprint network? The hard part was actually hacking that particular Jeep on the Sprint network, and not just every Jeep on the Sprint network at the same time. It would have been much easier to do that. Got it. So plenty, what you're saying is there's plenty that is already unsafe that's happening. And this one thing. This one thing, you know, what's, what could you do to make your car safer? Yank the SIM card out of it. That would be a good idea. Right. What? Okay. I want to go back to climate for a real a quick second before I let you go. Is there a category? I mean, we've talked a lot about consumer electronics because I think to your point, those are the most sort of obviously disposable to people, or at least that's the category that people put them in. But if there's a category that you would say, look, you should go to freaking jail if you throw this thing away, if you put it in landfill, what is it? <laughs> well, AirPods are kind of in that in that category, but I don't know what else you, you, to, to do with them. But I would say the problem is batteries. Mm-hmm. Be, be it, both batteries limit the lifespan, but batteries also cause cause fires and recycling. So we actually, in my area, uh, we had a major fire in our recycling center last week. They don't know what it caused it. It was probably a battery. And if you look in your local news, look for uh, literally a garbage truck fire where garbage trucks catch on fire. Because what happens if you if you throw an iPad into the trash and then it, the trash truck picks it up and it's got a compactor in it, it compacts it. And that then you get a spark off the battery, it smolders, and then it catches paper and cardboard and the trash on fire. And then the whole, the whole trash truck goes up. This happens on a very regular basis. The EPA put out a big report last year detailing all the fires we're having in recycling facilities across the country. And so... You, you can't, you should not ever put something with a battery in the trash or the recycling. Unfortunately, you know, go to Best Buy, probably everything you, you buy is going to have a battery in it. So you have a whole store full of stuff that you can't put in the trash or the recycling. We, we need to come to grips with that as a society. Hmm. And then when I do take those things to Best Buy, I am on the board of SF Goodwill, which is the regional Goodwill. And mm-hmm. I have seen firsthand the, um, the refusal to send anything to landfill. I mean, their e-waste operation is phenomenal, at least in this region. But how do we know? I mean, eventually, everything reaches an end of a line, right? Right. Yeah, at some point, everything needs to go to go to recycling. And I, I would just say, you know, maximize all possible utility for a thing. Mm-hmm. Even if it can't be used as a cell phone anymore, maybe you can use it as a music player, or I use our old phone as a baby camera monitor, right? There's all kinds of things you can use. So get all possible utility out of it, donate it to schools, donate it to Goodwill. But then, yeah, at the end of life, everything needs to be recycled eventually. And, and um, you know, Goodwill and others will get it to uh, any waste processor that will, that will be able to extract the raw materials from it. 
Amazing. I love it. Just keep your stuff. I just keep saying this over and over. It's the easiest solution ever. I love the, what did you say? It's efficiency through late, save the planet by being yeah, lazy. Save the planet through sheer laziness. Just, just hang on to last year's model. It'll be fine. Just keep it. Just keep it. Colleen's, thanks so much for all you do. You're a massively impactful person in the climate fight. You're an accidental climate warrior. <laughs> we're having lots of fun. And finally, we are making progress and we are winning. We're actually getting laws passed. I spent so many years failing to get laws passed. Now, finally, we're starting to win. It feels really good. That site, one more time, ifixit.com. And please, by all means, in addition to being cool by carrying old stuff around, feel absolutely free to pressure your state lawmakers and your federal representatives to pass a national right to repair law, because this is frankly just stupid. And as a kicker, let me tell you a little story. I recently stopped by the Apple store with my brother. He has AirPod Max headphones and he wanted to buy replacement ear cushions. You know, the part that just pops out so you can replace when it gets worn or torn because why would you ever throw out perfectly good headphones because the like pillow part got messed up? Well, the Apple store wouldn't sell them to him. They told him he had to make a genius bar appointment to buy replacement parts because they consider it a repair. So technically you have the right to repair that's as difficult as humanly possible. They sell the ear cushions on Amazon, by the way. So we could have just walked out with them and driven home in my electric car, but instead I guess we're gonna roll a truck. Come on, Apple, enough already. All right, that's it for this episode of Everybody in the Pool. Please like and subscribe and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts if that's what you're using. It really helps promote the show. Email your thoughts and ideas to in at everybodyinthepool.com. And for an even deeper weekly dive into climate solutions, sign up for my newsletter at mollywood.co. Together, we can get this done. See you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.